Hello, welcome to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about movies off of the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best Horror Movies of All Time list. My name is Clay. With me as usual is Amanda, but this is an unusual circumstance. Uh, You're probably asking, where's frailty? This isn't frailty. And uh, you would be correct. We had a bit of a scheduling bump, so we wanted to uh, give ourselves an extra week. So we decided to re-release our old coverage of A Nightmare on Elm Street that we did with Wes from the Penske File a couple years ago as part of the Real Ripe and Real Rotten series. Uh, I think we do a pretty good job. We covered all the bases, so it didn't feel necessary to go for Amanda and I to, to go back and do uh, Nightmare on Elm Street ourselves. Also, I wanted to let everyone know I have a new comic book coming out. Well, technically, it's an old comic book that's being repackaged for the first time in a collected edition. It's called Poser. It's coming out with uh, a wave, the publisher, a wave blue world, who is the publisher that did my book Bloody Hell last year. And that's going to be coming out in March. But you can pre-order it now on Amazon if you want. It's a slasher horror comic book that I think uh, it takes place in the punk scene of Southern California. I think you'll all really enjoy it if you're fans of this podcast. But uh, Wes is going to give you all of the credits and such once we get into the episode. But before we do that, I wanted to let you guys know that Nightmare on Elm Street, number 73 on our list, has a 95% Rotten Tomato score. And some of the things you might find in this movie include Boiler Room Sheep, Mom's Secret Stash of Child Murder Weapons, a protagonist who's, quote, into survival, Roger Rabbit, Sleep Doctor, Miss Nude America Pageant, and, of course, Questionable Parenting. If there was ever a horror movie to feature Questionable Parenting, this is probably pretty high on the list. But, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for me. I'm going to throw it over to the, the episode and enjoy. We will be back next time with Frailty. I promise. Unless something else comes up. All right. Thanks, guys. Everybody, welcome back to Real Ripe and Real Rotten. This is a podcast where we look at the highs and lows of your favorite Hollywood celebrities. We use Rotten Tomatoes. We take a look at someone's highest and lowest rated film, and then we talk about them. Right now, we're up to Wes Craven. We talked about Vampire in Brooklyn, which was at 10%, so now we're up to his best, which is A Nightmare on Elm Street. Clay, how are you? Amanda, how are you? I'm good. I, uh, I'm sorry. I thought this was a radio star murders. I thought we were doing nightmare on my street by Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff. <laughs> what? So I'm a little under, yeah, they, he did. He recorded a song called nightmare on my street, which was supposed to be for, um, nightmare on Elm street part four, but they didn't end up using it. And also it was, uh, I don't think he was allowed to actually put it out. So if you look on YouTube, what? there's a video for it, but it's a video that's been like banned for copyright reasons for like 25 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. That was my educational moment for the day. Mm-hmm. You Learn pun- something new every time. <laughs> Hundreds of pages of notes on that and only 10 sentences on Nightmare on Elm Street, I think. So we're going to Essentially, be- <laughs> yes. A short podcast. Amanda, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. We are here to talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street, which, as I mentioned, is at 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, Tomatometer. I don't know if I mentioned that, but 
The critical consensus is Wes, Wes Craven's intelligent premise. How did I mess up my own name? Wes Craven's intelligent <laughs> premise combined with the horrifying visual appearance of Freddy Krueger still causes nightmares to this day. In this movie, a group of teenagers are terrorized by Freddy Krueger, an evil being from another world who gets his victims by entering their dreams and killing them with his gloves that have knife blades attached to each of his fingers. That's an interesting description of the movie on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> That's a really weird way to put that. <laughs> It's very specific. In this in this installment of Friday the 13th, Jason kills kids with a knife handle that has a blade attached to it. <laughs> he typically aims for the head. It's an easier kill. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street is an 84 American slasher film written and directed by Craven, produced by Robert Shea. Uh, it's the first of installment of a series that stars Heather Langenkamp, John Saxon, Renee Blakely, Amanda Weiss, Jus Garcia, Robert England, England, England as Fred Krueger. Fred Krueger always strikes me as funny, too. And Johnny Depp in his film debut. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we're here to talk about this. This 1984. It's the best of. And I will throw it to you, Clay. I'll just say this, and yes. then we'll take a break, actually. We'll, we'll play the trailer. Uh, do you st think about this during the break? But is the movie still as scary as you thought it was when we did the last movie, Vampire in Brooklyn? All right, here's the trailer. We'll be back. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet. But something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? We just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. Tina! Is the coroner got to say? He's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. They're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. No! She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. <laughs> no one will survive. Help me, Who are you? From Wes Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. All right, Clay. So if you want to open with that, do you still think it's scary? Uh, I do. I think it's kind of difficult to view it without 30-something years of Freddy Krueger behind it um, because uh, he eventually kind of turns into a bit more of a joke and uh, more of a pun machine and becomes so uh, ubiquitous that he's just sort of a cartoon character. Um, but if you kind of take that away and you just judge this one by itself, I think it's, I think it's remarkably effective. I think it's a really good movie. I think the first, the first, uh, death I think is an all timer, uh, Tina getting ripped up, uh, up and down the walls and stuff. And mm -hmm. the, the, the only it's, it's a strange thing, uh, which I'm sure we can get into, but, Freddy himself is the least effective when you actually see him, because uh, he's kind of goofy. 
his running his like, running sucks like the way that he runs is ridiculous <laughs> yeah well that that one that uh, that's specific that's not robert england but that's <laughs> details but uh uh, but yeah, anytime that they show him like actively going after somebody, he's very um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, normal. He's not very. What's that? He's normal. He looks like yeah, a normal guy. Yeah, he does. And there's a certain weirdness to him in this, where it's almost like he just got his powers like yeah. ten minutes before the movie starts. Yes, and he's kind of kind of psyched about it. Yeah. So he starts yeah. fucking with the kids by doing stuff where it's essentially him going like, hey, yes. check this out. This is yes. pretty cool, right? Then yes. he like cuts his own fingers off and like cuts oh, himself. Oh, my God. So it's, it's uh, I think, viewed by itself, I think it is very effective. And I think it works. I think it works better than a lot of slasher movies um, because the kids feel like real characters and they actually... Uh, the world that they set up is completely thought through as far as how the parents are involved and how the cops are involved and that's X, Y, and Z and, and uh, more so than I think most other, other movies do like this. Amanda, what do you think about the movie? It's your uh, general take or your, your first impression, what do you want to say? I mean, I, I love this movie. Um, it was actually better than I expected it to be. I haven't watched it in a really, really long time. So I was kind of anticipating that it wouldn't have aged well and and then you can argue in some ways it didn't mm-hmm. but it was definitely more effective than i thought it was going to be this far from its inception um and yeah i just i i love i love the combination of the, the slight sick humor that's mixed into it and i i really enjoy the characters i always go into this movie feeling I somehow always forget that Tina is not the main character. Right. I always start it feeling like, oh, okay, yeah. Oh, I, I don't remember her being blonde. And mm-hmm. then she dies. And I'm like, oh, that's why I don't remember her being blonde. Mm-hmm. Because it's the other girl. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a really interesting like narrative choice that early in that movie. To sort of pivot so quickly from the girl who seems like she's going to be the central character and then killing her off that quickly and, and, and moving on to the friend. Yeah, it's a little little psycho-y. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Craven went with the uh, the strong, bold choice to go with the worst actress as the lead character. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, okay, yeah, she's not a great... I, I would argue that Johnny Depp also is terrible in this movie. Oh, yeah, no, I think... not very I think, good. I, this is I funny because I... Um, I just to, to get my thing, I, I think we're going to yeah. have a strong difference of opinion between the three of us here. I, think, I had a, I had a dun, feeling dun, that dun. was coming. Yeah. I, I don't think this movie has aged well at all, really. And um, oh, really? Yeah, I, I think that it's, I think that its ideas are good, and like he obviously created a very iconic character, and like the way that he reinvigorated the slasher thing by having it be a dream sequence for all of the kills is a really clever idea. Mm-hmm. But like. I think this is drenched in such 80s, like, tropey, cliche stuff, and the kills are, like, for all of, like, the greatness of the idea here, the the dream world is remarkably boring. It's just the normal world <laughs> that you just think that you're awake in, and you're just walking yeah, around. I think that may... I, I actually prefer that, though, because I think it's... it's the, the thing that's interesting about this that stood out to me this time is I was trying to... As it was going on, I was thinking, is this is this story breaking its own rules by 
what is a dream and what isn't and what can cross over and what can't. And I, mm. and I don't think that it is because it seems to be setting up this general sense that the line between reality and dreams is straight up blurred. And I think that works in its favor in the way that you're talking about where, I, I mean, the, 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 uh, uh, the linchpin of this series has always been the, uh, oh shit, I didn't realize they were dreaming kind of thing. And that's tough to do if you're going, you know, off the wall immediately. So I, I think the stuff like when she falls asleep in class is great. Mm. And it's the, it's the, the, um, real life that's just off a bit feels, I think that feels more honest to a dream than if it were to kind of go over the top. I, I guess my counter to that would be, I, I personally like the way that the series goes as it evolves. Um, I think it gets better Mm -hmm. and I think that they embrace the, I I think if you're going to have this killer set up this way, where he's in your dreams and he kills people, they, they, they don't focus on Freddy's power being the fact that he is in your nightmares. Like, they don't play up the fact that these kids have sort of fears or anything like that. It's just this weird right. world that he can live in and, and chase right. them in. Mm-hmm. And I think later on in the series, if I'm not mistaken, they do a much better job of making the dreams thematically match the kids. So that Freddy has this mm-hmm. power of being like, he is your worst nightmare. Like, he can cause the kinds of things. He's basically Batman of, of like, the horror <laughs> villains. Yes. yes. <laughs> and... Yeah. That that I think that's a much better like this movie feels amazingly empty beyond its cool idea. Like it it just feels like it's a dream world where Freddy lives in, and I don't think the Freddy effects really hold up very well. That thing where he stretches his arms, I think, is kind of ridiculous. There's, this there's a couple that, that is very silly. Yeah, there's a few things that definitely don't hold up, but I think there's a lot of them that still do. I like the um, I like the girl on the ceiling, and I like the blood yeah. uh, geyser. I think those are two effective <laughs> mm-hmm. things. But yeah, I just um. I, I feel like the bones are here at this point, but I don't think that this is the best in the series that this ever did. It's not like it's one of those things where all the sequels became lesser versions of the first idea. I think they they got a better idea of what this was supposed to be as they went along. Yes and no. I think it's. I think they kind of topped it out with the third one, and then after that, it became lesser versions of the third one. Sure. But anyway, that's a that's a conversation for a different time. <laughs> How um, I mean I. I I don't, I guess we can, you can just, we can start with the idea of like Kruger as a villain. Um, mm-hmm. I like Kruger as a villain for whatever reason. I was, um, I was always under the impression that he was set up as a pedophile from the start and that's not the case, but apparently he was written in the original script as a pedophile and not a child killer. And they changed that at the last moment. So maybe I'm thinking that, but I know the, the latest Jackie Haley version does have him as a pedophile. And you know, I uh, I can't remember if I watched that all the way through. Have you ever seen that, Amanda? The no, remake? I haven't. I haven't seen that one. From what I remember, it's pretty bad. <laughs> um, but I do remember there being a thing that they did that he actually is wrongly convicted of being a pedophile. Oh, yes. But I is that true? Is no, that how they do it? In the it's remake? unclear in the movie whether he is or not. Okay, so they they um, play with it. I don't know why you would play with it. It's kind of a it's a weird addition, I suppose, to yeah. add. Although I think that him being a pedophile, Wait, which, the, what's, the, a, what's the, a weird addition? The remake version, like actually, like sort of bringing it out. I, I'm torn about whether or not he would want to be that way because I guess why I'm bringing this up is that his. I think that I think one of the problems with the way that the plot is set up here 
is that the kids don't know who Freddy Krueger is. Sure. I think that's yeah. a mistake because I think they should mm. be scared of him and they should know what he is. And maybe even if they open the scene of the kids being present for his execution to, to like remember him or something, because it just strikes me as strange that if you're going to have this kid's fear thing be this fearful character that they aren't scared of him in real life before he becomes this force of nature kind of creature. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I, I, I don't think they're specifically scared of him. Like, I, I think part of the reason why this works is that everybody has nightmares. You you can't control having a nightmare. You're, you're just going to have them sometimes. And Freddy Krueger lives in that world, and you don't need to know about him. But why do they need... tell us about him then? You know because what I mean? It, yeah, you know, I, I, think, I think because that explains who he was and, and, and how... And why he's doing what he's doing, but I don't think that the kids need to know about him in order for them to be afraid of him. Um, and I and I think it actually is more for the benefit of the adults in the film that he has this backstory because I think one of the most interesting things in this movie is the mother's role. Yeah, um, where she is clearly, you know, an alcoholic and she's self-medicating because she and some other adults have done this horrible thing where they thought they were bringing justice to a situation, but they still killed a man. Yeah. And she carries this immense amount of guilt and it becomes this inherited legacy of guilt and violence and terror where, you know, the daughter is innocent of anything to do with this situation which makes it even worse that she's become such a victim to this like very evil force yeah and i i always felt like fred krueger the child killer is the uh monster for the parents where freddy krueger the dream monster is the monster for the kids that's a good point um because i think what this movie does really well is I think there is so much underlying psychology at work as far as how the uh, parents are handled and the fact that it's... I think this movie would still appeal to teenagers now because the the main thrust of the movie is uh, parents wanting to care for their children but also not listening to them. And I think that's a fairly universal concept for a teenager. Yeah, um, I think and, it's only a... However, um, sorry, just, to, just to, to, to wrap up the other thing. I did notice something this time that I can't believe I never noticed and does kind of... It, 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 I, I don't know if I'd call this a plot hole, but it's, it's weird. The nursery rhyme, the one, two, Freddy's coming for you mm. that, that Tina references at the beginning when she's like, oh, it's like that old nursery rhyme. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense because if this is the first time Freddy has ever shown up, why would there be a nursery rhyme that they remember from when they were kids about this monster who's going to come for you when you sleep? Yeah. Unless, unless the lyrics are ambiguous enough that you could say, oh, it's applied to Fred Krueger, the child killer. And it's just a something that the kids sang, not understanding what it was. Well, I, I will say that as somebody who was a little girl in elementary and middle school, we had all those clapping games. Sure. 
um, that I'm assuming you guys are vaguely familiar with, but didn't really participate in. Mm -hmm. And they have these sort of weird, obscure lyrics where you could read a lot of meaning into them. They might just be nonsense. And I remember I just learned them for the from the girls who are a year or two older than me. Right. So I inherited those things from my slightly elder peers, but I don't know where they came from, what they were initially supposed to mean. Mm -hmm. They were just something we did on the playground. So I, I could kind of, that might be a little hand wavy, but I, I could kind of see it working in that way. This sort of, combination urban legend slash like oral tradition i think the, I the problem with that those, is i think to clay's point Fre freddie's name is mentioned in the the song they, they like specifically mention right. him by name that's that's why i would yeah. say if i i think the only way to really square it is that it's a nursery rhyme based off the actual killer not at based off of the dream monster yeah yeah like 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 <laughs> i'm just thinking i keep thinking about miss mary mack Sure. I don't know who Miss Mary Mack is. Child killer. It, she could have been. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just know that, you know, we would do the, the sort of clapping and chanting and, and Miss Mary Mack all dressed in black. Mm, sounds like a child killer. Ooh, somebody called Blumhouse. I think there's a movie in there. <laughs> I call dibs. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a small detail. It's one of those things where it's like, if you start to parse this stuff out, it kind of breaks the fun of the movie. Mm. Um, you know, like... If she's if if he can only attack in dreams, then why is he calling Nancy on the phone? Uh, you know that kind of stuff. Whereas I also have heard a read of this movie that the entire thing is a dream. That's the original ending. Is it, is that the original ending oh. that the entire thing was a dream? Yeah. Yep. So she hmm. in the original ending that they did, she wakes up at the end and everything is exactly the same, except she realizes that the whole thing has been a dream and it kind of like fades. It's kind of a happy ending in some ways that Kruger never yeah. actually exists. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're, if you're working on that, I, I think, like I said, I think parsing that stuff out takes away the fun of it. And I think it's easier just to, you know, hand wave and say, oh, there's a general uh, blurring between the lines of uh dream world and and real world because he can't e even though he's he's messing with nancy when she's awake at some points he, there's no point where he he actually attacks her mm -hmm. so i think you could make the you, you could make the argument that he's he's pushing the boundaries but um there's still that line that he can only attack when you're asleep yeah yeah i, I what you were talking about clay i think is it's it's not a universal teenager thing but he's certainly like a reaction that the 80s parents and kids had to like this latchkey generation that was yes, just starting definitely. around that yeah. point where kids are on their own and they can't rely on their parents because their parents are working and stuff like that mm. which is kind of a unique experience for kids who are growing up in that era um and I, I the like the the parents here are played off as buffoons in a lot of sense like i i think that the i think the mother is actually like a terrible actress uh but her, her she was nominated for an academy award what? oh really not for this not for, oh, okay. for, uh, <laughs> that makes more sense no no not for not for this uh she was nominated for an academy award for uh nashville i think a, mm -hmm. few, a few years prior i think you know i've always thought her performance is really weird this time i actually really liked it because i thought it was a fairly convincing my mom is always drunk performance. <laughs> really? I, I, she does degrade throughout the movie. She does. Yeah. She does, yeah. Yeah. Until she's laying on the couch at the very end going like, you have to come inside. Yeah, I go inside. Yeah. I just, it's it's so, um, 
just the like the alcoholic who drinks in the hallway from the hidden bottle in the laundry pile is like such a like no alcoholic drinks like that it's, it's little stuff like that that just kind of annoys me but i mean not to not to get into it but that stuff does happen i mean there there, there are people who are alcoholics like that do hide liquor bottles in stuff places where they hope people won't look and stuff like that so but she, she but it is she it is lives fairly with daughter like what yeah what well, no it's you know i i i know someone who did the same thing uh he only lived with his wife and he would hide liquor bottles right but in you, the your wife can toilet, judge you know? you you can tell your kids to go fuck themselves hey, basically hey, your teenage daughter can judge the fuck out of you yeah i think nancy having Nancy's been a teenage pretty... daughter i had immense powers of judgment nancy's fairly judgmental towards her in this movie she's kind of judgmental towards everybody <laughs> yeah um, but I will say, I will say they do kind of, you know, lay it on pretty hard. Like I never noticed this before, but I actually started laughing in the scene where she, uh, brings Nancy into the basement and tells her the story and she's oh, like, Oh, yeah. I have the glove, which is a, it's a good story. I think it's really effective, but I noticed there's a big bottle of vodka there. Mm-hmm. Like oh, she brought, she brought a bottle of vodka with her either that or she keeps one down there. And it was just like on the thing next to the next to the boiler as she's reaching and pulling in this glove and telling this really dark story. So yeah, I think they may, they may overdo it a little bit. Yeah, I mean it it just piles onto the the parents are incompetent, which is the the main point of it. And you know they they, I, they can't see. I I wouldn't say they're incompetent though. I think I think generally parents are played as incompetent in movies like this. But in this mm-hmm. one, the thing that makes a difference is they actually give it a reason. It's it's I think it's part of the um, fabric of the story is this idea that the parents just aren't listening to the kids, even though the parents are responsible for what's happening to the kids. Mm-hmm. And so giving them a stake in the story makes them makes their acting uh, neglectful. Um, and that's not even the word because they're not neglectful. The parents mm-hmm. actually care about what's happening to the kids. They just don't listen to them. Like the cop, her uh, her father cares about what's happening to her, but is not listening to this stuff that she's yelling at him. Uh, Glenn's parents are who are probably even the most reasonable of all the parents. At least his mom is anyway. His mom seems like a pretty nice person. Uh, but, you know, she, the crazy girl across the street is calling their son at midnight. And so her dad is just like, he's asleep. Call him tomorrow. You just got to be firm with these kids like that. It's not it's not that they don't care. It's just that they are not listening to what's happening and not paying attention to it for for either because they are kids and they think that the parents know better or because they are, in the case of the mom, um, in denial about what's what's actually being told to them. To be fair, the uh, the sheriff sheriff's deputy. I'm not going to let you, a parent, paint these parents <laughs> badly, Wes. <laughs> to be fair, the the sheriff's deputy at the end stands and watches nancy scream help me help me and then yeah, for five was, minutes and that, then goes i'll go get the sheriff that was pretty funny yeah <laughs> do you think also there's an element of you're kind of as the audience seeing these adults the way that the teenagers see their parents sure yeah. like I, I i always kind of read it that way that they they strike you as a little bit incompetent or just obtuse or just just generally Mm -hmm. in denial of the situation because that's how a lot of teenagers feel about their parents like i'm trying to tell you something important and you're not listening to me um i've also always found this movie interesting in terms of parent-child relationships because you know there's there's 
four main teenagers in this. We don't hear much about Rod's family. Mm-hmm. Uh, they showed up to the funeral, but that's about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, that, but that's about it. But of the other three, both of the girls, their parents are divorced. Mm-hmm. Their, their, their parents are not together. So I, I don't know really. I haven't fully sussed out how I feel that impacts the movie in a deeper thematic way. But I do think it's important to note that these films usually featured very normal, you know, quote unquote, ideal suburban families. Mm -hmm. And to have two different sets of parents who are divorced has to affect these two main female characters psychologically and therefore affect how they're behaving and, and, and sort of their attitudes towards these things. And I, and I do think that the, the way the parents and the, the way the parents are presented and the way that their relationships are presented, you know, Nancy's parents being divorced, Tina's parents being divorced, at least those two, I feel they heavily imply that all of the, all of the downturn of that, those relationships are due to what they did to Fred Krueger. That's a, that's interesting. Because I always assumed thought. I always assumed that Nancy's mom was a was an alcoholic because she was dealing with the fact that she killed a guy. Yeah, yeah. Same. And I, I assumed that that was meant to parse itself out across the rest of the rest of the parents. Because I, you know, I actually think I think if you made this movie now, I uh, assuming that the the original didn't exist and they just did this now. I think you could make an argument that someone would make this from the point of view of the parent and make the parent the hero because that's really what's going on is the parents did something that created this, you know, dream child killing revenge monster. And so in that story, theoretically, you would think it's up to the parent to be the person who is the hero. That's the parent who has pushed their kid away and is not listening to them and is affected by the things that they've done in their past to find redemption in saving their kid from the monster that they tried to save them from initially. A quintessential baby boomer film. Exactly. Yes. It's <laughs> I see they, they would make it now, it would star Liam Neeson and it would he would just hunt Freddie down in the middle of uh <laughs> Africa and shoot him in the face. Cuz I I think I see the theme I I view the more the movie more as um from the point of the kids. Like I view it very much as like mm-hmm. a latchkey thing where the Oh, I think it's definitely that too, yeah. The the parents are the, the divorce to me just kind of goes into this idea of like they're divorced because it further signals the the breakdown of like societal norms at that point. So mm-hmm. it's like divorce is increasing, the latchkey kid thing is increasing, the kids are increasingly alone. So the parents and can't vulnerable. help them. Yeah. Against against this monster that's there and and Kruger is supposed to represent the um, the unintended consequences of this kind of societal breakdown. I don't know if um Craven is really thinking about this this way, but it seems that it seems to be so of its era that it's like unavoidable to think about it this way. I do think he's thinking about it because I, I I watched a few interviews with him, and the way that he talks through his thought process about a lot of this stuff is very on a psychological level, like. I heard him talking about the creation of Freddy Krueger and, and the and uh, picking of the glove and the sweater. And he said he picked the colors of the sweater because he saw on some scientific report that the colors red and green are the most displeasing color combination to look at. <laughs> yeah, clashes. So he speci- yeah, he specifically picked it so he, he, even looking at him would feel wrong. And he picked the glo- the uh the the claws because he wanted it to be something that was you know elemental and what what is the 
first thing that people probably feared, and it would be an animal, an animal with claws. So he picked a a, a giant claw hand. How effective do you so, guys think the glove is? I think it's great. I think it's. I think the design is great. I think I always spend the entire thing thinking how hard could he possibly stab people with his little finger. That's true. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's a movie. Come on. The uh, the thing with the glove is uh, we can get into this a little bit more at, uh, later if you want. But I think the glove broke open the floodgates for psycho killer weapons mm. because uh, the strange thing that the thing I didn't realize about this until we did it this time. This came out in 1984. Halloween had already made three movies. Friday the 13th had made four. So this is actually fairly late in the slasher game. Like in My Bloody Valentine and all these other, rip, you know, Friday the 13th knockoffs had already happened. So this is f- fairly late in the slasher game. And he manages to change the weapon from just a guy with an axe or a guy with a chainsaw or a guy with a knife into something a lot more visually interesting and take the killer in a mask who doesn't say anything actually make him talk and turn him into a character with a, a power set that hadn't been seen up to this point yeah he's to me that's the um because of how many of these films had come out before this the whole thing about like what craven did was to because slasher films are really when you break them down they're just a sequence of creative kills like that's the sure. entire movie yeah. that you're going off of so mm-hmm. At a certain point where Halloween and Michael Myers starts to become redundant because Myers is at least somewhat based in reality. Like he, he's a guy who is, seems unkillable, but he, he operates as a normal human, basically. Mm-hmm. He walks around, he chases you, he stabs you with things. There's only, so many, there's only so many kills you can get out of the Michael Myers thing before it starts becoming Final Destination-y in that it's like it's obviously <laughs> yes. set up to do things like this. Kruger is different because Kruger's kill set allows you to have this surreal aspect to everything and it allows you to like really branch out into the creativity of the kill sequences yeah and that that's my disappointment with the movie is that there's not a lot of creativity to it it's just the idea is there and it's kind of cool there's some decent sequences there's some not and like overall i think that it's actually just kind of like a prototype for what they would eventually do but doing that as that sequence blew the gates open for the rest of the slasher films that they realized they had to kind of follow something that is not realistic like they were doing before. They have to go into this sort of dream world or they have to go into some kind of alternate reality or something. And I think that that's the biggest impact of the movie, actually, is that sense that you can become, you can loosen the shackles and like become really mm. creative with your kills once you stop working under the constraints of reality. Our, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say... Following what you just said, Wes, it's interesting to me that, you know, I I agree with a lot of what you just said, but there aren't a lot of deaths in this movie. Yeah. It's like, only four? Just the kids? I, and I, well, the mom. Same with Halloween, count, I think. Ha- yeah. Halloween's kind of the same. There's not a lot of kills in the original Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think, in a way, at least from my point of view, limiting the amount of death actually makes each one a little bit more impactful like if there had just if if you had doubled the amount of teenagers killed in this movie it wouldn't feel as big of a deal each time someone died like the fact mm-hmm. that the cast stays pretty small to this core group and you're not just getting the sort of friday the 13th style there's eight camp counselors around and they're all running around and getting you know chopped up and murdered i don't know each one felt like it like it had a little more to it 
at least in my opinion, and, because it's limited. And it's interesting, too, if you really look at the way the movie plays out, it's essentially just Nancy and Glenn for about 85% of the movie. Yeah. Because Tina gets killed almost immediately, and Poor then uh, Rod is arrested. Poor Rod. And then he gets killed fairly shortly after that, and then... It's mainly Nancy for the rest of the movie. Glenn shows up every couple minutes to be like, hey, you want some onion rings? And just maybe maybe don't be afraid. No. Glenn, Glenn shows up to be incredibly unreliable at the one thing that everyone oh, is asking him to God. do. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah I, I always kind of regret. Like, I feel like every episode of this I've done with you guys thus far, I've always lamented that the main character is the main character. <laughs> like, every time I'm just like, but you got rid of the interesting people too soon. Like... When Tina, when 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 Rod shows up and you realize that Rod and Tina, like he's not just some high school bully who's mm-hmm. there to torment the nerds. Like Rod and Tina are a couple. Yeah, they have been a couple. Mm-hmm. They are they are clearly like actually really into each other. Also, not to cut you off, this time I noticed that she was fifteen. <laughs> that was some very aggressive fifteen year old sex they were having. I missed that. Did she say I she's fifteen? Lived with yeah, missing. They that. say in the on the corner on the TV when they when they're talking about her death, they say she was fifteen. Oh. Now we all get picked up by the FBI for so having watched. Who's this. the real child molester? <laughs> Rod, Freddie, or Rod? Because Rod's at least twenty five. <laughs> yeah, but, but but like, there's something. It, it was weird because when Rod first shows up, I always have a visceral, like, you know, my feminist tackles are raised. and I'm just like, oh, this guy. Mm-hmm. And then pretty quickly, I'm actually kind of like, well, I'm weirdly charmed. Like, I, I find I find them as a couple, like, weirdly like, yeah, all right. He's no more. Okay. He's no more or less shitty than any other person like you went to high school with. He's not yeah. like he's not like a, for at least from what we see, he's not an awful guy. He's just yeah. kind of a dick. Well, and in some ways, he's he's actually a slightly less awful guy because yeah. he shows up, he kind of cajoles her and, and you could say coerces her inside. Mm-hmm. They have sex. And then when he's When you say like, coerces, you mean he drags her, picks her up and drags yeah, her? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a loving look, drag. Look, she was... In, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, but no, but, but like after they have sex, he's like, hey, are, are we good? Yeah. Like... No more fighting, right? Like we're we're back together. Like he's having sex with her because he wants to be back with her. Right. Whereas I feel like Glenn is the opposite. Where Glenn is just oh, yeah. like he's just a hornball. I'm yeah. just waiting for my moment when you're gonna let me to, like when you're gonna let me have sex with you yeah. and I I'm just waiting for that. Like I'm dating you because I'm waiting for that. That's I'm gonna the vibe put, I get. Assuming that they weren't all brutally murdered, I would I would put my money on Rod and Tina. As a long dist- long term couple than I would Nancy and Glenn. Yeah. I don't I don't think those two are going to work out. Movie uh, features, but they also my, uh, so my, the movie features my favorite trope in all of movies, which is uh, people having sex. The guy's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Ugh, ugh, he rolls off, and <laughs> neither one of them clean up or throw away a condom. They just lay in their own filth. And <laughs> no then one fall goes to pee. <laughs> it was nineteen eighty four, man. There were no condoms. <laughs> My my only the only way that they can up that is when they have the businessman who's having an affair. After he's done, he rolls off and he puts his pants and shirt back yeah. on and just goes yeah. back to work. <laughs> and that's eventually how he gets caught. Um, the, the, the thirty second sex scene from Halloween. Yes. Yeah. For when, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a different. That's a different the, podcast. The, 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 the and a different sister episode. And the, the sister yeah. and her boyfriend go into the yeah. house and have like 15 seconds yes. tops worth of sex, and then he's like, "Ugh, well, I better get going. I better go." Um. But yeah, Rod is actually really interesting because I think he falls under the same 
sort of uh, umbrella of people not listening to these teenagers, Mm -hmm. not taking them seriously and thinking that they know better than them because he is completely railroaded. I mean, obviously with with good reason because he was there and he had a knife, et cetera, et cetera. But the the time that we spend with Rod, you get to realize he's not a bad dude. Mm -hmm. Like he... He's laments the fact that he can't save her. Yeah. Um, he's not, you know, he may, maybe he's got some pot on him or something, but he's not like a, not like he doesn't seem to be like a hardcore coke addict or anything. No, but yeah, going, going to the, you know, he seems like the kind of guy who would have some pot on him mm-hmm. or, you know, have been sneaking alcohol from somewhere. He's mm-hmm. got a knife on him. Like he's the one character in this movie that's from the wrong side of the tracks. Right. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting that he's... He's very visually, like there's a lot of visual cues that he's the quote unquote bad boy. He's mm-hmm. wearing a leather jacket. He's He's got the like slick back hair. He Actor just is seems... high on heroin at the time. Yes. Yeah. Also that. <laughs> oh yes. boy, I didn't know that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, he, but he fits that stereotype really, really well. And I think it, I think it says something that he's the one who ends up in jail. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's the obvious, you know, culprit that the that the authorities who are more straight and narrow middle america style like they they don't like him interesting because... see I, yeah go ahead sorry no 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 you you go ahead i'm just you you get the point <laughs> i i would i would put a caveat there and say that the mm. reason he goes to jail is because he has sex and true yeah the but people, i think that go- people who have sex in this movie are punished which is why i don't which know is, glenn glenn never gets any in this movie and he gets it pretty well bad. he he is he's got that tv computer monitor on his dick when he's sleeping so he's doing something to that thing <laughs> and also i mean you could you could you could go so far as to say his death is is basically his balls exploding <laughs> From pent up sexual wow. whatever. I'm, like wow. in, uh, that uh, took a turn. Like in Scary Movie Two. <laughs> Anybody see Scary Movie Two? No. No? Okay. Well, the people out there have seen it know what I mean. You're all alone, uh, I'm interested in your um because I think I think the thing beyond the latchkey stuff is that I think the film is also very much a cliche trope about uh sex. Uh, in the 80s and everything and that's why kruger being a pedophile makes sense to me and i guess uh craven Mm. didn't he pulled it back because at the last moment before the film was released there was a a spate of like high profile child molestations going on and he he didn't want to draw attention to it so supposed not not that i'm going to go to bat for child molesters but i believe (laughs) that was one of those cases where it never actually happened it was just a snowball thing was it like the felsacre thing around here something like that yeah where it was like panic uh, yeah, it was a satanic panic mm. thing where the people who were running this daycare were being accused by the kids of molesting them. But they, it was one of those things where they, the kids didn't totally understand what was happening, but the people yeah. who were questioning them were, at, were asking Leading them very... Leading questions. Yeah. 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 And if that's not true, I totally take it all back. I don't know if they're in jail for sexual... <laughs> for, Molesting no. kids, they they deserve to be there, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I don't know the exact case you're talking about, but uh, in the Boston area, there was the Felsacre daycare in like Malden, Medford, that oh, really? had that exact like that exact thing happen. And I don't I don't remember if the people who ran it were convicted, and later that sentence was um, done away with. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the term for that, mm-hmm. um, or if they were never convicted at all. But it, yeah, it was definitely a big panic around that time. Hmm. What do you what do you guys think 
these movies are saying about sex because I think it's extremely contradictory what they're saying about sex. And I don't think anyone has ever really parsed it out for me well. But the reason Kruger as a pedophile makes sense to me is because thematically the sex abuse ties into the fact that sex is seen as a kind of punishment in a lot of these movies. Mm-hmm. And the the death and the like the the using Kruger as a pedophile is perhaps a little bit like distasteful on some level, but it does fit the theme that I think that they're going for here. And it's a weird contradiction of morality between like sex and the killing and whether or not you deserve like for, for movies that are so celebratory of the death sequence, they have a very strange attitude towards sex and they always use sex as a way to like, you're, you're going to get what you deserve basically. And I'm, I'm just interested why, you, why you guys think that's the case i've never heard a really good convincing argument for it and it seems like all the the points go in different directions for it i mean i i think the sex leads to death sex as a gateway to a punishment through death is very much a horror movie trope um i think it was established way before this um i don't really know why that became such a thing I don't know if I can answer your question, Wes, but I don't know. Maybe I'll complicate it a little bit by saying I think it's interesting because sex is one of the most vulnerable things you can do. It puts you in a position of vulnerability. It opens you up in a way to outside forces, outside influences. And and maybe that has something to do with it. Like when these teenagers are starting to express their own individual sexuality, that's both frightening to their parents and and therefore something that the parents are trying to stand in the way of and sort of quote unquote protect them from and it also might you could say being very victim blaming here um attract the attention of a force like Freddy Krueger mm-hmm. i i always thought it was it was a trope that ended up kind of snowballing uh because of Friday the 13th um cuz Texas Chainsaw Massacre doesn't really have that stuff in it, really. Uh, it's a fairly sexless movie. Halloween has it, but I would argue it's more what you're saying, Amanda, in Halloween, where it's less, oh, the people who are having sex are being murdered, and more, these are people who are in their most vulnerable position they can mm-hmm. be in, which makes it that much scarier that they're being murdered. I think Friday the 13th actually turns it into a punishable sin because the whole story in the first movie is that Jason Voorhees drowns in a lake because the campers were off fornicating with each other. You know, Mm. I think that in that, like, like a lot of things like this, um, sequels to that and other movies that were influenced by it took the wrong message from it Mm. where it turned into kind of the thing where it's like, Oh, well, if you have sex, obviously you're going to get killed. Because I actually don't think that the nightmare movies are really that sexy. Um, the there's only the one sex scene in this one. Uh, you know, like we said, Glenn gets killed. He doesn't have any sex with anybody. Uh, the second one, the second one is is a whole different kettle of fish. Because that one is all about uh, struggling with your sexuality as a gay man, which is really fascinating. Mm. Um. But the rest of them, it's not really a you have sex, you get killed series. There's a lot of other things that end up playing into what causes the deaths. Um, 
and what Freddie is 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 going after, especially as you were saying, Wes, once it starts getting a lot more specific to each person, um, what their fears are and what their nightmares are, it's it's very much not a um you know, two people screw and then get killed kind of series. Yeah. I I I think I just What's funny to me is that Craven seems more intelligent than to just copy paste that trope into this movie. And, and I don't, I don't think that he is copy pasting it into this movie. Then what, what is, what is this movie saying about the sex? You just say it doesn't. You're just saying it, it's not as strong of a force as the other movies. Yeah, I, I don't think he's. I don't think it's being used the way that that it's used in a lot of the other movies, where it's just you know you have sex and you die. Because I, I, I don't know if there's a. I guess you could. But even if, if Freddie if Freddie's designed as a pedophile, sex is inherent to his character. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's pedophilic sex. It's not like sex with your girlfriend. You know, it's 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 the most awful version of sex you could imagine. <laughs> right, but that that doesn't change the fact that he's he's originally conceived as a sexual creature, and he seems to be go- like the kids growing up and having sex with each other seems like it thematically ties into that and he only he craven only cuts it out at the end because he doesn't want to get involved with the news cycle at that point so mm. i i think well that- okay in that case maybe you could argue that freddie is going after teenagers who are becoming sexual beings because they are now out of the range of his pedophilic tendencies so he's going to murder them he's, he's, uh, he's angry about growing up yeah <laughs> yeah essentially he's like a really twisted peter pan yeah or or because i think the fred krueger character and i liked the dichotomy that you drew earlier about like fred krueger was the child killer the parents dealt with and freddy krueger is the nightmare monster that mm-hmm. the kids deal with um if you align this sort of krueger character in either iteration with the parents then maybe in some way he's representing the parents fear of their Mm -hmm. children growing up and their children becoming more sexual and their their children sort of escaping their parents influence and and putting themselves out there and putting them in these putting themselves in these positions that are inherently vulnerable and a lot of people especially at the time would argue dangerous Mm. so see that's another interesting thing to think about what uh from the standpoint that i said if this would be really interesting to see the story told from the point of view of the parent yeah because all that stuff i think you're probably right but that stuff thematically i think when when you think about that stuff and put it on paper it feels much more like the parent's story mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that it's not happening i think that's yeah. it's de- definitely possibly there but it's it's a weird it's weird to think how much freddy is a villain of the parents who is then dealt with by the children it's very much a sins of the the father kind of thing yeah Yeah, which i I hate i hate using that phrase it's so cliched (laughs) star trek podcast reference the um yeah i it's funny i i you guys both seem to feel that the parents feel guilty for it and i Mm -hmm. i strongly disagree with that which is an interesting little like that's why i think that the parents point of view wouldn't be really interesting to me because i don't think that they should feel guilty or that they do feel guilty about what they did um, I always read it as just when the kids tell them, like, look at this hat, it says Freddy Krueger on the inside. He wrote his name. And then the par- the parents are, the parents aren't shocked by the guilt of it. I think that they're just being triggered by the memory of it and like reliving mm-hmm. a horrible mm-hmm. time in that neighborhood that they all went through B- because I, I don't get a sense that the parents should feel 
bad because Kruger's obviously a monster, and as he's originally envisioned, he's even wor- he's even more of a monster, I guess you could argue. Um, but th- that's interesting that you both kind of like the parents' perspective in a way that I uh, or I don't consider it that to uh, be the case anyway. Well, I think it's I think it's important to the story. I don't think it's the focus of the movie. I think it's it's a it's a good bit of world building that they do to give more weight to the way that the parents act. Um, uh, as far as the genesis of the monster and as far as how they, how they handle their kids and stuff, I think they're, I think it is a good bit of world building to, uh, to kind of back that stuff up. So you guys would both, uh, I'm just, you, neither of you like my idea of the kids being aware of Freddy Krueger from the start. Eh, you like him know. being a mystery. I, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what you what you really gain by that. Uh, it's it's kind of like watching a vampire movie when everybody knows what vampires are, which I never really care for because it's uh, you know there's always that scene where it's not, where someone shows up and they're like, oh my god, he's a vampire. How do you what do we do? It's like, well, you can't use crosses because this isn't the movies, kid. You know, like the I I enjoy I enjoy the idea that this is a new monster. That has been. Uh, it's. It actually reminds me a lot. It's basically High Plains Drifter, but with monsters instead of Clint Eastwood. <laughs> I just. I, I really like the thematic idea of this pedophile killer character. Right, gets put away, mm-hmm. but the mm-hmm. crimes he's committed still live on in your psyche, and he's representative of your psyche. Like the the wounds that they've suffered from the the Kruger the person is mm-hmm. still terrifying them in their nightmares. Like, they can't but, shake him, and I think that that's an effective way to go. When they introduce him as a sort of strange character that none of them have ever heard before, even though apparently they wrote a lullaby about him in the past five years <laughs> that everyone seems to know, it just strikes me as odd, and it's only done as the reveal that the parents can then reveal this shocking twist about what Freddy Krueger is, and I don't find that as effective, I guess. So can you can you guys remind me what is the time frame like like when did Freddy Krueger the man die within these parents' life t- like these parents were the ones that killed him right right yeah so right I would but say if that was within a decade years ago yeah, 50, ten to fifteen years ago okay so then then I think that you know if if you guys had said oh yeah there's a there's a line in the movie where it was five years ago I would have been like oh yeah absolutely the, the, all the kids should know about this. Mm-hmm. But it could have been, you know, 12 years ago, if these kids are 15, right? that means they're all toddlers. Mm-hmm. Interesting so, there's no older siblings in this movie. I was just thinking yeah, that's that. A, that's a good point. Yeah, I was just thinking that because you could argue that there's room for an older sibling to act as sort of the magic book character who knows about Freddy and who, who Freddy was as a person. Can exist in like, both you know, the parent and the kid's world with them. Yeah. yeah. That, that would have helped, the, I think. The, the older sibling who's like never home and is a drug addict or something, and it's all a result yeah. of the, the trauma from Fred Krueger, et cetera, et cetera. I guess they just wanted to really split the... the I, I understand why not including that character, even though I kind of like the idea of that, is to just to really separate the kids from the parents. Like, they're just two different groups sure. of people yeah. that you never interact yeah. with each other. I yeah. I was going to say I'm surprised they never get into that in the sequel, but it's like, why even bother in the sequel? That that, that character only serves a purpose in the in the Cats out of the bag story. with Freddy, yeah, yeah by yeah. that point. Yeah. I think that's... Mm-hmm. I honestly think that's sort of who the mom is supposed to be character wise because everything that she does is stuff that i would give to this fictional older sibling character you know so i think it's sort of like just conservation of character Mm, yeah but i i i I agree that it probably would have been a nice addition 
I think the other thing too is this movie's like an hour and a half, right? Very quick. Yeah. It's Very pretty. Quick. It's pretty tight. Um, and for for as as short as it is, they do some. They spend a lot of time just doing sort of you know, dream sequency stuff that's sort of long and and drawn out. So I guess you just got to kind of keep it moving at that point. Mm, yeah. What do you guys think of the ending? Um, I hate the ending. The <laughs> how she how she defeats him. I I don't like anything from when they go outside. To the porch, <laughs> you know what I mean. From when, when, when she when she, she wakes turns up. her back and then wakes up, yeah, yeah, and then it's like all slightly misty. Yeah. Like, oh, the oh, very, the, the very end, the very, the very end. Yeah, the, the ending end. scene. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate it. Yeah, it's it's what it, it's whatever. It, it's I, I know that they did that because the producer wanted to have a room for a sequel and be you know, a, a bit more of a shock ending kind of thing, like the old Carrie thing. Um, I read but, a bunch yeah, of the is, endings, and I don't really like any of them. So I don't know if it's a movie that can really get a good ending and be, be that, faithful. Yeah. I think that the, the thing that I think the thing that greatly upsets me about the ending that they went with is that it kind of feels like it makes the movie all for naught in a way that I find really unsatisfying. And not like it was like a, it, mm. not like the twist is really like, Oh, like clever. Like they actually didn't defeat him. I just feel it's like, Oh, that's kind of a cheap trick just to say that. Like, even though like, even though she did all the things in this native American thing of not turning your back on your dreams or whatever, like even though they do all that and he disappears, he still just comes back at the end. Right. And right. if there's some sort of thematic thing there about like, what I was talking about, like, you'll never shake Freddy Krueger. I could appreciate that, but I don't think the movie builds towards that. It just does it as kind no. of a twist ending. Can I ask, so the ending I I feel like I would have appreciated and what I kind of was almost hoping for the first time this was that, that I watched this movie was that she runs, Nancy runs down the path into the car with her friends. Mm-hmm. And as they're driving away... The mom raises her hand, and it's the Freddy Krueger glove. Oh yeah, that like, would be pretty good. I could, yeah. I kind of could have gotten behind that. Like, you know, both the hint that he's not gone, maybe literally, but also that he's not gone figuratively. Yeah. That the, the the kind of mark he's left on the mom is so indelible that you're never going to escape kind of this legacy he's forced on these people. I, I get behind that. Yeah, I see. The, what um, what is some? Go ahead. What are some of the other ones? Some of the other yes. endings. Yeah, do you have them in front of you? Uh, the one that they were going to do was that the, it's exactly the same, and the kids get into the car, and the convertible top goes up, except Freddy is the driver of the car, and then the car oh. drives off. Yeah, that's pretty lame. That's that like that's like Friday. The, that's like Nightmare Part Four shit, right? Yeah. There. The the original <laughs> one is that it's all a dream, which is whatever. Um, I think. Mm. Uh, and they were all kind of variations on. Freddie being in a different place, like Freddie. Freddie's just there, but he's he does yeah. a different thing. And apparently, they settled on the Freddie pulls the mother through the window because they thought it was funny. They thought it was the funniest <laughs> option of all of them. And I, I don't know if that's really the best reason to choose that ending, but it's I what they went with. I don't think it is for this movie. Yeah, it looks real silly. Uh, um the the thing that I find interesting about that though is it kind of that ending beat plus even the way that she ine- inevitably defeats him. Brings up an interesting point with this kind of character because how do you defeat this guy? Like what? How do you find a satisfying way on mm-hmm. film to dis- to defeat Freddy Krueger? Because I think the I think the uh, the way that she beats him in the bedroom works because of the type of character she is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You mean pulling him into the real world? Well, I I mean specifically turning her back on him and taking his power away, that kind of stuff. I think that I think that works um, because of the type of character she is and the stuff that she's going through in the movie and blah 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 blah. Um, I actually I would disagree. I guess I, I feel that the turning your back thing. It feels like it kind of comes out of nowhere. They foreshadow it yeah. earlier, but it feels like it was just like stuck in at a later stage of the script that they needed a way to beat him, that's, sort of. That's what I mean. I, I don't know what else you can do when you're presented with this type of character that feels like a satisfying way to defeat him. I think you have to like face you your fear, right? It's not... Ter- I, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, she does, though. I but mean, it, she sends him through the Home Alone death maze. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but I, I actually think that the um, the pulling him into the real world I works. like that. Yeah, 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 because yeah, it is a face your fear ending. It, it it's sort of like take what you're afraid of and drag it out into the light and and mm-hmm. and put it in the light of day and confront it and talk about it or you know obviously with Freddy Krueger you don't just talk to him. Um, but it, but it like as somebody who has real life night terrors, it often helps to talk about them hmm. in the real world with people because then you're like yeah that actually does sound really dumb that's yeah. not scary at all right that's interesting yeah yeah um i, I like he, the he doesn't do a lot of talking what's that i'm sorry well, I, I like the I, I i would have stuck with the pull him into the real world and what, what's interesting is that there's all i was reading all this stuff that craven didn't want to turn this into a franchise however he ended it in such a way that it seems impossible Oops. to not turn it into a franchise yeah well yeah. that was i think that was studio mandated it, yeah but it's um but if you but even in Craven's original, I guess Craven's original ending, it kind of implies that he never really existed anyway, so you can't do it. But there, there's no definitive ending to Craven's story where Kruger is killed or shown the way that you actually defeat him. You know, he either mm-hmm. doesn't exist or he just kind of comes back all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is kind of a strange thing, um, the way that they choose to go. Because he is such a, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, he is such a a sort of ambiguous villain because he's so powerful. How do you defeat that? I like the mm. idea of of you know facing it. I feel like that. I think it it works okay that she turns her back because you know they set it up or whatever. But I've always felt like that was fair. That was. It seems like it's a okay. What do we do? We can't just shoot him in the face. Right. Yeah. How do we get rid of the this sledgehammer? Guy? Didn't kill him. What are we going to do now? <laughs> yeah, we set him on fire five times. You know, it's and the. There's definitely more, I you know, there, there's a, like I said before, there's, there's a lot more of a psychological through line in this movie than there is in a lot of these other uh, slasher movies. Mm. So it doesn't surprise me that the ending was a little bit more abstract. The way that they defeat him is a little bit more abstract. Yeah. Like compare that to the way they defeat him in the third movie where they, I don't even remember what the hell they do. Oh, they, <laughs> they, they bury his bones on consecrated ground mm. or something yeah. like that. Oh, and he bursts boy. into flames or something. <laughs> It, which is it's fine. I mean, it's more cinematic, I guess. But there's something yeah. there's something kind of satisfying about facing him down and then being like, "Yeah, you're not shit," and just walking away. But I don't know. It, they don't they don't set that up as much as they could have. Yeah, I, I I actually don't like the way that they set that up because it seems like it just comes from because when you look at it, Tina and then Nancy, who I will say, it's really interesting that they're the only ones who face him in dreams. That's a good point. Yeah, like That's on, only the girls ever have to face yeah. him down in I, a dream. I want to get into that in a little bit. But yeah, go ahead. Um, but they both turn their back on him in the dreams mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. They're constantly just like, "Nope, don't want to deal with this. Time to go away." Yeah. Um, 
and the way that they set it up as sort of a method for defeating him is just Glenn. Yeah. Glenn read a book once. Yeah. Thanks, Glenn. <laughs> and and it's just like, why are you it? the authority on on whether or not this like this technique will work? Yeah. So, yeah. Happen- and he happened to offhandedly mention it once. Yes. Right before he yeah. got sucked into a bed. See that 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 issue of Reader's Digest he had mentioned the <laughs> Balinese style of dreaming. <laughs> Mom, I'm in here watching Miss Nude America. Get the fuck out of my Which room. was like oh on which was on basic cable? <laughs> so I actually kind of wanted to ask you guys because um for Vampire in Brooklyn we talked a little bit about the sort of unusual Wes Craven brand of humor. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about the way that that came out in this movie? I it's think Friday. it's a lot What's that? I just think it's Kruger. It's Kruger's sort of like um personality. Yeah, I think it's that, but I think it comes out in a lot of other places, too. I think yeah. uh, Kruger's personality, definitely. It's a lot more subdued here than it is in later movies. But, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of lines in this that are that are, that are are played straight but are clearly meant to be funny. Like when mm-hmm. Tina wakes up at the beginning and her mom is like, Honey, you either need to cut your fingernails or just quit that dreaming. <laughs> 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 After she wakes up with her shirt absolutely like, shredded, like shreds. cold sweat. You need to cut your finger down, sweetie. Yeah, you just got to stop it. Yeah. Um, the, the two lines that I wrote down for, like, in my mind, like, MVPs of bad humor in the midst of horror are uh, when Freddy Krueger says over the phone to Nancy, I'm your boyfriend uh, now. <laughs> all-timer. So good. And then after Glenn dies, one of the one of the sheriff's deputies says, you won't need a stretcher up there. You'll need a mop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, when the dad dude. when the dad goes up and says, "Where's the coroner?" and the guy's like, "He's been in the bathroom puking his guts out yeah. for fifteen minutes." <laughs> yeah, it's just there are these little sort of background, uh, like almost throwaway lines, usually amidst the like sheriff's deputies or some some of the adults, yeah. sort of just like hanging around in some of the scenes and in 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 the sheriff's you know office slash jail that are just like. If you pay enough attention to them, they're almost incongruously humorous to what's going on with the main characters mm-hmm. who are feeling so much anxiety and stress. And then in the background, you've got like deputy so-and-so like quipping about the things. The line you said, Wes, where, where she's screaming at the wind, out the window and he's like, huh, maybe I should go get the lieutenant. Yeah. <laughs> and then she yells at him, go get my dad, you fucking asshole. <laughs> Or, uh, I mean, even when she wakes up, when she's dreaming in the classroom and she freaks out and then she leaves and the teacher's like, you're going to need a hall, you're going to need a hall pass. Need a hall yeah. pass. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think, I think the humor is definitely there it, um, um, uh, in ways that comes out. It, it's, it's, I think it's even here has some of that subversive scream humor mm-hmm. built into it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so, the, most of the humor to me, obviously, from what you guys have listed is it builds off of the, um. The parents' obliviousness, like old yes. people's obliviousness, mm-hmm. is kind of the yeah. joke. Yeah. Um. So, how do you guys feel about the? You, you know, we we were talking about the the uh, if you have sex, you die trope. How do you feel about the final girl thing? What's the final girl? The the idea. Wes. The, yeah, the, oh, idea the final girl slasher movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the, there's always one girl left who ends up being the person to face down the monster, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And she's usually the uh, most virtuous of the group or whatever. Hmm. Um, I personally think that Nancy is 
the best franchise final girl because really she, yeah because she is even in at this point she is the first one who is being proactive in how she's defeating this monster whereas almost i mean pretty generally it ends up being a girl i'm to, I, I guess i shouldn't up to this point she's the only one who's been proactive in, in defeating the monster when usually it's a girl who ends up being the last one just because of the way that the 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 uh the way people are killed the way they end up falling out she's the last one mm. and then she ends up being very reactive to what's happening where it's like she's running away she's screaming she's backed into a corner she had she swings an axe wildly and cuts jason's head off or something like that it's yeah. ne- i i never feel like it has the uh proactiveness that nancy has where she's actually taking the reins and being like all right how am i going to defeat this guy yeah the I am. I almost feel that she goes overboard. Like I, I always feel that Nancy. Kind I, mean, of, Nancy I feel like you got to go as overboard as you can if you're fighting <laughs> Freddy Krueger. I, I feel that she she buys into it really c- kind of quickly. Like I the thing yeah, that always like makes immediately me, the thing that always makes me laugh is she's like, Dad, t- like please pray to God, like pray to Christ, get over here in twenty minutes, and then she does about five hours worth of stuff. Yeah, it takes. <laughs> it takes I wrote her, that. I that minutes, down. Yeah. I was like, her Home Alone montage took about fifteen minutes. She talks when to her, she, she talks said, to "We her only mother. have twenty minutes." Yeah, she talks to her mother. She sets up all these traps. She builds like bombs and puts up a sledgehammer into the <laughs> like the joists of the ceiling. And then she mm-hmm. comes back, checks her watch, and there's still ten minutes left to fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. And she falls asleep in ten minutes, which even for someone extremely exhausted, I feel like if you are a normal person and you lie down with the intention of forcing yourself mm-hmm. to fall asleep as soon as possible. It's not going to come out. I, I couldn't remember the chain of events because it's been a while since I've watched this. And I'm, go- and I'm watching this going like, so Glenn's supposed to come over at midnight. <laughs> Did she already set all that stuff up? Because she's, she needs to <laughs> set the stuff up. really close. She's cutting it really close. And also she's chugging coffee and, and, and no-dose pills. Mm. Oh, my God. When she pulls the cut, co- when her mom <laughs> comes in and clears out all the mugs and everything from her room and is like, go to sleep, honey. And she's like, okay, mom. And then she pulls the coffee maker out from under the <laughs> nightstand. Yeah. It was like, this is my favorite thing. That's a good, that's a good joke. <laughs> but, but yeah, she, the, the timeline, it doesn't make it. Uh, I mean, yeah, for, but for your, your thing, Clay, I just think that she, she, it, it, it kind of fits hand in hand with the solution is to just turn your back on him. Like the kids kind of come up with the solution it, to me, feels very artificial in how they arrive at this. And Nancy goes very gung-ho into taking on Kruger um, mm-hmm. with fairly, like, limited experience with him. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. you need more interaction to sort of kind of suss out what Kruger would fall for. But she, she immediately goes into it. I think maybe to argue it in your point, they do build up the fact that she has been battling falling asleep for the first half of the movie constantly. And I think that mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. a certain point, you just kind of give up and you go into it with that because she can't stay awake any longer. But... It 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 didn't strike me as horrible, and it also strikes me as a little bit weird, just timing wise, that they they jump into it so quickly. Yeah, I I, I also going along with your conversation about the final girl, mm-hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween will always be my favorite final girl. Mm-hmm. I I just I know she doesn't necessarily have the same proactive streak that Nancy does, right? But I I I feel like she's a much more realistic portrayal of just a normal teenage girl yeah. who's 
found herself in this absolutely batshit insane situation and adapts way faster. Like once she realizes she's not crazy, she hasn't just been imagining this guy following her around. It only takes her one night to sort of like, you know, deal with deal with all the shit. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Nancy, you don't really get a sense of how much time passes. The, yeah, the only thing they say is that she hasn't slept for seven days. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and then and then more time passes after that. So it's also interesting because I understand, thinking about that, I understand to some extent why the adults in the film don't necessarily believe her mm -hmm. because she has been very, very obviously depriving herself of sleep right. for a week and change. Which means that she's really not in her right mind. It's 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 very easy to sort of write off her judgments and and what she thinks is going on because she is. I mean, you know, people use sleep deprivation for torture, right? And and so it kind of puts her in this like unreliable narrator position. There's mm -hmm. one weird scene though. There's after the tub scene. Right, where she's screaming mm -hmm. for her mother to help. When her mother comes in and says, what happened? She goes, nothing. I fell asleep in the tub. Yeah. Why did yeah. she say that? I just assumed it was because at that point she wasn't even sure what was happening yeah. yet. But hadn't, hadn't she had the conversation with her mother at that point? No. no I think I that happens think so. earlier. Oh, I'm, okay. I, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that happens before they have the conversation. Oh, I, I thought I remember yeah. watching it thinking, you guys just had this crazy conversation. Why aren't you talking to your mother about like, see, see what happens? No, because they don't have the conversation until after she gets taken to the dream, the dream lab. And that's where it lost me. Like, yeah. I, I was willing to sort of be on the side of her mom in, in terms of like, it would, it made sense to me up until that point that her mom was sort of like, look, what you're doing is not healthy. You need to get some sleep. <clears throat> Yeah. You cannot live like this. This is this is not sustain sustainable. You need to get some sleep. And then she takes her to the dream lab. They hook her up. There's a doctor and everything sort of monitoring her, yeah. saying, oh, worst, now she's fine. Worst doctor dialogue I've ever heard, I think. <laughs> Craven had no, no idea was, how to write medical it was, dialogue. It was almost <laughs> as bad as Craven's police dialogue yeah, from yeah. Vampire in Brooklyn. Um but they li they literally watch her not only have a night terror, but have a night terror that physically injures her in a way that she could not have possibly done herself yeah. because they were watching it. And she and she wakes up with a hat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she wakes up with a hat. They put her to bed. They put her in yeah. a, a hospital gown and yeah. put her to bed, and she just pulls this hat out of God knows where, and still her mom goes, well, I really think you should get some sleep. Yeah, the uh, the doctor, who is actually the voice of Roger Rabbit, that guy. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Clay, he, I love your movie trivia. I know. It's just, you know, <laughs> nooks and crannies. Um, he gives dialogue that is a, essentially the same as when uh, Ron Burgundy talks about what San Diego means. Because mm -hmm. he's like, what does San Diego mean? And he's like, well, no one really knows anymore. It's like, what are, what are dreams? We don't really know. They could be anything. They could be the... Uh, Remnants of a past life pushing through its uh, primordial stuff. Yeah, he has some. Like, he has some poetic line as his first line. He's like, "They are the cloud stuff that that, yeah. that like that like hope and dreams are made of, or something." He has some like bizarrely non medical. The unburdened stardust of yeah. hopes in the future. 
But, you know, it is, it is actually interesting because I, I am not a scientist, but from what little I do know, we actually don't know physically why, like, humans have to sleep. And mm-hmm. we, we don't fully understand medically and scientifically what dreams are. So that it, it's kind of like they gave him silly dialogue to express something that would have actually been really interesting. And, and at least, again, as far as I know, in my very limited knowledge fairly uh factually accurate that i would actually think would add a layer to the movie but they give him such silly dialogue around it well that scene in particular breaks what i think is an otherwise well-considered environment because i talk about this on the podcast all the time this idea that Mm -hmm. you need when you're doing a movie like this or, or stories in general you need to have a good understanding of what the the scope of your environment is. That's why there's never cops in Jason movies. Like mm. they're always in a limited environment where this stuff can happen. You don't have to worry about, oh, what if the police show up? Because then you got to deal with how the police are going to react to it, blah, 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 blah. This one, they get around that by having the police p- play a big role that's explained. They have the parents play a big role that's explained. The, the sleep doctor, on the other hand, is the one thing where it's like, if you're going to go to the sleep doctor Mm -hmm. and you're going to wake up from a dream with stab wounds on your arm and a magic hat in your crotch, (laughs) you're that's the the rest of the movie should be like 1400 sleep doctors trying to figure out what's going on. (laughs) Yeah. Like you can't just do that and then never bring it up again. Yeah. And then have all the adults in the entire film just go, well, I guess that was nothing. Yeah. It just, it doesn't, it, it kind of, it breaks the, it breaks the wall of your believability of your story because you're breaking out through that. Because there's no more plausible deniability for the adults. Doctors like, uh, I'm sorry to tell you guys this, but I only have clinic days on Tuesdays. So uh. (laughs) you're going to have to wait another seven days to come back. (laughs) <laughs> this uh, movie takes he's only there once a week this movie takes place on a tuesday and the end of the movie actually is on monday so like they were gonna go back but uh he was actually in in the bahamas on, you on know her bahamas. mother's in between jobs switching insurance is always a pain in the ass yeah. and stuff wow like that. you know in my whole experience as a sleep doctor this has never happened this is really interesting <laughs> i'm going on vacation i gotta go can we talk when i get back because i really want to uh deal with this doctor uh, dr smith is a sports medicine doctor but he will be able to help you going forward I think. um let's see let's uh let's take a break we'll play a clip from the movie then we'll come back and we'll give our final thoughts about a nightmare on elm street you want to know who fred krueger was he was a filthy child murderer who killed at least 20 kids in the neighborhood kids we all knew oh mom It drove us crazy when we didn't know who it was. But it was even worse after they caught him. Did they put him away? All the lawyers got fat and the judge got famous, but somebody forgot to sign the search warrant in the right place and Kruger was free just like that. What did you do, Mother? A bunch of us parents tracked him down after they let him out. We found him in an old abandoned boiler room where he used to take his kids. Go on. Took gasoline. We poured it all around the place and made a trail of it out the door. Then lit the whole thing up and watched it burn. 
All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you very much. You can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show. A couple dollars a month, extra stuff, all kinds of good stuff. There's extra podcasts and things. You can go there, patreon.com slash the Penske file. So let's go to our final thoughts about A Nightmare on Elm Street. Who wants to go first? If neither of you do, I can go first. And something the negative Nancy, I guess, about the movie relatively. <laughs> uh, I'll go. Um, yeah, I, I still, I think this is, I think it's great. I think it's really creative. I think it really broke open the slasher mold. I, I personally think that the Freddy and the, the Elm Street series is the best slasher series, if only because it's the most consistent. Like, Freddy's the best character because he actually is a character. He's got a story. He's got a power set that, that you can look to as to, uh, you know, why things happen. He doesn't just become a zombie in the fifth movie or just become the living embodiment of ancient cult evil in the sixth movie or whatever. The, um, they have a thing that he does. He has a concept and every movie is just exploiting that concept to the best of their budgetary ability for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just always, I think, I think Freddie is just a really great scary villain uh obviously he gets sillier and sillier but i think here and the first three movies i think he's at his peak of effectiveness and uh if you ask robert england uh because i watched an interview with him today and he essentially takes credit for every advance in pop pop filmmaking after 1984 he says is somehow in some way or another a result of freddy krueger and what he did as freddy he's Mm -hmm. a very interesting person to listen to an interview with um, but yeah, I think it's a classic. I think it's got that first 20 minutes or so is still an all timer, even if the rest of it gets a little silly here and there. Um, yeah, I just think it's great. Amanda. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love this movie, I think for very different reasons than Clay does actually. <laughs> um, I like, I like and appreciate Freddie, but he's not the main draw for me. Sure. Um, the things I think I like about it the most are I, I think it really conveys that sense that you have when you're a teenager that you're on your own. Mm-hmm. Like you can try to rely on your friends. You can try to rely on your your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And even then you're you're maybe not going to get that support because either they have their own things going on in their lives. Their parents keep them away from you. Um and you certainly can't rely on your own parents. So you have to sort of tackle these really big, frightening issues on your own. And I think this movie does a great job of giving you that atmosphere. Um, I also love this movie and because I think it's kind of the beginning of Wes Craven's preoccupation with meta. I mm. think this is where he sort of starts to turn to horror movie tropes. And, you know, like like the sex equals death and the slasher film tropes. And I think this is when he starts to look at those and say, how can I sort of explode these tropes? How can I use them and also subvert them at the same time? And I I think you could trace a really clear line from the work he does in this film, like directly to the Scream franchise. There's also, we didn't even talk about it. It's just a little detail. Another piece of trivia. Um, uh, The movies that she's watching on TV is yeah. Evil Dead. Yes. And that is a back and forth in joke between Sam Raimi and Wes Craven that happens across three oh, movies. Oh, really? Yeah. <clears throat> so in the first Evil Dead, uh, they when they go down to the basement, there's a poster for The Hills Have Eyes, which is a Wes Craven movie that's yep. been torn in half. 
The reason it's torn in half is because when Sam Raimi saw The Hills Have Eyes, there was a scene with a Jaws poster torn in half. And he took that to mean it was Quest Craven saying, Jaws used to be the pinnacle of horror. Mm. That's all done. The Hills Have Eyes is here. So when they did Evil Dead, they did the same thing. So in response to that, when Wes Craven made Nightmare on Elm Street, he has them watch, has her watching Evil Dead. And then when Sam Raimi made Evil Dead 2, there's a scene where the Freddy Krueger glove is actually in the, uh, the work shed, as it were, where, uh, he, where Ash gets the chainsaw. Mm. So your point's invalid is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, think, I actually think that kind of goes along with what Let's you're saying. Let's fight. I think, fight, I, I think that actually kind of goes with what you're saying, because that is a very sort of meta take where yeah, he's actually it, it, referencing exactly. other movies and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like I, I, I think this is sort of, at least in my opinion, my very amateurish, amateurish opinion, the moment that Wes Craven really fully embraces the sort of like, I'm, I'm going to lean into these tropes and mm. I'm going to I'm going to see what else I can do with them outside of the traditional bounds. Yeah. I think um, I don't Boo. find. <laughs> Wes, you're Boo. such a hater. I don't think slasher movies are particularly scary to me. Um, mm-hmm. If Amy managed to watch this without a single look away last night, it's not a scary movie, in my opinion. Like, Amy's <laughs> scared of everything. Um, and what I think is truly terrifying is the idea of Kruger and the idea of this sort of like the worst crime that something could happen to your child happening when he's originally visioned as a pedophile instead of just child murder thing because i think that's a better storyline mm-hmm. for it when the worst thing that can happen to your child i love i love in this distinction pedophilia bad child <laughs> murder yeah that's fine i would <laughs> i but to so if you if you have this set up right this right i know what you mean though the the pedophilia thing is the lasting impact like the Sure. Mm. That Kruger's supposed to represent that. The murder actually kind of closes the book on things in a way that I think is yeah. not what the story is saying. The pedophilia yeah. bit keeps it going and it keeps it alive. And I think that if you're dealing with a story about parents' guilt and not being able to do it to protect their children or the kids being terrified of this monster that there was there and now he sort of lives in their heads, that's really terrifying. What's not terrifying is watching... Uh, Robert Englund or whoever's stunt double was run around with long arms and stuff like that. Like when, when I see Kruger personified, I think that he's ridiculous. And I think that there's a better way to portray this character. And when he's sort of standing in the shadows, like tapping his uh, knives on pipes and things like that, that's more effective Mm -hmm. than when he talks or does anything. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really a tr- like he I, I I found that there was more unintentional comedy in this than there was scary things happening in it at this point, and I think that that's where it's kind of falling apart for me. Even though I think the idea is really good. So to wrap it up, Craven, I like the idea. I like what you did here. I don't personally like the execution for how it works, and I, mostly because I'm not a fan of the slasher genre in general. Even though I think you did something really creative with it, but it doesn't it doesn't terrorize me or like really make me scared or. Uh, psychologically horrific in a way that I like for horror movies to do. You know, it's it's funny because I, I was thinking about this not too long ago where they remade it once. It really didn't work. Uh, Amanda, you said earlier that he doesn't talk very much in this movie. I watched mm-hmm. one clip on YouTube from the remake. Yeah. It's 80% him talking. It's it's really bad. Yeah, we, we, yeah, it's not a... It's not a yeah. No, he, he does a lot of talking and it, it, it's not great. Um, but I was thinking a while back, if they were to remake Nightmare on Elm Street again, 
I think you would need to do a ground up re envisioning of what Freddy Krueger is. Yeah. Because I think Robert Englund's look is so iconic and so very specific to him, his portrayal of that character, that I think if you want to make him scary again, I think you need to break that mold and do something different. I don't know what that is. I think you can keep elements of it. I think you can keep the claw, and I think you can. I think it just needs to be re envisioned and and worked through again. He needs to be. He needs to be less of a monster mask. Craven designed him because he wanted to have a monster mask, but he didn't want the guy to actually have to wear a mask. He wanted it to be a human face that was still mask like. Mm-hmm. Actually, originally he cast uh, David Warner to yes. play Freddy Krueger. Yeah, he uh, was looking at older actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make that would actually be. I actually think that would be the direction to go. If, yeah. if somebody were to remake it, is just just pick find an actor who is much much older mm. and sort of lean into that element of it. This sort of the the terror of what adults can inflict upon these young and vulnerable people. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think he has to be normaler than he eventually becomes. Yeah. Um, he yeah. has to be sort of like you could blend into a crowd kind of thing. Um, yeah. He could be the weird old neighbor down the street who right. lives in that spooky yeah. house He's just or that, that guy from Family Guy. The... I don't know. That's, the old man. The old man <laughs> yeah, pedophile. The old, the old weird creepy guy who <laughs> you, likes... Uh, I got some popsicles in my in basement. basement. Yeah. Let's. Um, <laughs> what is happening? I'll show. You, I'll show you a video. We're done. I don't Let's know. Let's call if it I a day. Let's call it a day <laughs> okay. right there. I think uh, we're, we're jumping off of the Family Guy jokes. So. Yeah.